anytime we don't know what's happening next, we te- that's not comfortable. We don't like that. Our brain doesn't like that. Right. So if you do what you did, yeah. you go and do something that reminds your brain, hey, actually, I do kind of know what's happening next in this particular moment in time. I'm going to go and lift some weights. I kind of know what I'm doing. I've got my reps all, all worked out. I've got like a little exercise plan. Mm. That immediately provides certainty, something predictable coming in, and it, and, and, and it automatic kind of calms you. Wow. Because you go, oh, actually, I have agency. Yeah. I'm still doing stuff. Yep. And even if something as simple as going for a walk along a familiar kind of path around mm-hmm. your town or where you, you know, the beach or bush or wherever you live, is reminding your brain, hey, I actually kind of know what's coming next. And that can be incredibly soothing in the face of great uncertainty and unreliability. Oh, um, that's so great. Like, I know what's coming and it's and it's gonna and even for a moment you can kind of calm everything down. Yeah. Because you know what's coming next. Right. And this is why when we should in times of great stress or uncertainty or anxiousness, if we just go and do something like what you said, mm-hmm. some kind of predictable routine. Yep. Um, it just you you kind of falling back on all of those systems and processes. You it's don't need so good. yeah. Do, do something that you know you can do well. Welcome to Black Belt Beauty Radio, a podcast fueled by a passion to support your journey in developing your most beautiful and optimal performance in life. Each episode is driven with the intention to elevate your mind. When we elevate our mind, we elevate our life. So get ready; it's time to rise. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Black Belt Beauty Radio. This week's phenomenal guest is Dr. Sarah Mackay. Sarah is an Oxford University educated neuroscientist. She's an educator, presenter, media commentator, and director of the Neuroscience Academy, also author of the incredible book, The Woman's Brain, The Neuroscience of Health, Hormones, and Happiness. Reading Sarah's book was incredibly eye-opening for me and immediately propelled me to get her on the show ASAP to share her expansive knowledge with you as she breaks down life from the lens of neuroscience. In this epic conversation, we talk about the power of thoughts and how to disrupt negative thoughts with new stimuli. We discuss processing and the brain's role as a predictive machine craving certainty We discuss how to soothe the brain during times of high stress, the female lifespan through neuroscience from puberty, adolescence, pregnancy, and menopause, the large influence of socialization on our mood, and the importance of social connection, key components to cultivate optimal health. We talk about all kinds of things. Honestly, this conversation was so fun for me. I couldn't wait to get Sarah on the podcast. You know, she is such a wealth of knowledge and I am such a geek when it comes to neuroscience, neurobiology. And again, the focus of her book was really, really impactful for me. You know, I'm a woman and understanding, you know, what goes on in this body, the system of systems from the lens of neuroscience is is really empowering. So I cannot suggest enough to get her book. You know, I am honored to have this conversation with her to introduce her to all of you who are not aware of her yet. So definitely check her out on Instagram. Her handle is Dr. Sarah Mackay. It's in the show notes. And once again, check out her book. It is so good. There's a link in the show notes there as well. So my little ask before I hit play on this very empowering episode 
please give this podcast a five-star rating and review. There's an easy link to do it in the show notes. You guys, it really helps us grow this show and get this incredible content out into the world. So thank you in advance to everyone who has already done it. And thank you in advance to everyone who is going to do it. All right, you guys, it's time to enjoy the incredible conversation that I had with the amazing Dr. Sarah Mackay. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Beauty Counter. You guys, as a beauty expert and makeup pro of over 20 years, I have legitimately sifted and sorted through endless amounts of beauty products from skincare to makeup, you name it, I've touched it. And, you know, high performance is always a priority to me. You know, when you're working on clients who are on the red carpet or accepting awards on live shows like the Oscars, things of that nature, there really is no room for error when it comes to performance. But as a total, you know, lover of health, you know, over the past decade, I became highly conscious about you know, the health aspect of products too, and really trying to steer away from skincare and makeup products that, you know, have chemicals and fragrances and ultimately health disruptors. So when I found Beauty Counter, you guys, I started playing with their skincare and their makeup products on me. I was so happy with the results. Not only, you know, did they totally deliver, but I legitimately felt better putting these products onto my skin. You know, what you put on your skin is totally affecting your health. And it's so important to really realize that. Not to mention the brand is really health conscious for the world, and I love that too, but that's just me. So check it out. You guys can now shop my personal favorites on blackbeltbeauty.com from Beauty Counter. You just got to go to the shop section, go to beauty, and you will find my favorites. And I'm continuously adding new products there as I discover more because the brand is just constantly you know, creating new amazing skincare products and makeup products. So as I learn about them, and as I try them and love them, I'm sharing them on the site. So check it out. Go to blackbeltbeauty.com, go to the shop beauty section and shop the beauty counter page from there. Let me know what you think. I'd love your feedback. And if you ever have questions about beauty, you know where to find me. DM me, Roxy Look or Black Belt Beauty. Lots of love, you guys. Sarah, I'm, so, first of all, good morning. <laughs> it's so much <laughs> It's a lot earlier for you in Australia, and I'm so, so grateful to have this time with you. You know, it's interesting, um, as a podcast host, first of all, I'm just a very curious human, and when I discover somebody that I want to have a conversation with, you know, there's some body of work that I get dialed into. And then when it comes time to have a conversation with them prior to that, there's a lot of prep work that goes into it. And in all the prep work that I've done to be here with you in this uh, hour, I mean, there's so much that I want to talk about. You know, you're a neuroscientist. You're an author of an incredible book that I just love so much. You're an educator, you know, so it's like, and these are all huge pillars to dive into. So I'm going to do my very best because <laughs> I'm known for like rabbit holes, but they're fun. Um, I'm going to do my best. What's that? <laughs> I hope I'm going to live up to expectation. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, listen, let me just set the table by saying um, thank you, first of all. I mean, honestly, how I first discovered you, this is like one of the beauties of Instagram, because obviously Instagram has a lot of things that aren't great, but there are several things that are wonderful and connection is a huge piece. And 
I discovered you through um, an IG live at, that I was listening to from um, Andrew Huberman and he gave you a shout out and I was like immediately, okay, I need to look into her. And then I look into you and I was like, oh, okay, amazing. And um, it's interesting. So I, you, this was right before your boot camp in March started, right? Yeah. And I signed up for your, you, you have like 10, it was like 10 emails, one email a day for 10 days. So first of all, your writing is beautiful. I have this, and I say everything I say, I'm, uh, you don't know me yet, but everybody who knows me, I'm very real. Like I'm nice, but I don't give you handouts. Like it's very authentic. And I'm reading your emails. I'm like, this is probably the best email subscription I've ever signed up to. Wow. Gosh. I know. Well, I mean, listen, I am a geek. I'm so excited. (laughs) Well, it's a talent, you know, and then, and then I pick up your book and I'm like, you, I can hear you in the book. I've been writing my whole life. So I'm, you know, writing is really passionate Mm -hmm. um, space for me. And it's, it's, you know, the book woman's brain, it's so great for the information, but it's also the fact that I can feel you talking to me in the book. So we're going to get into all that. Um, I just, yeah, I just want to set the table by saying I'm so appreciative of you and your work. And so I'm going to do my best to get a bit embarrassing now. (laughs) Trust me, all the pressure's on me. Okay. (laughs) Um, you know, the question that I've been thinking about, like, how do I really want to start this is you've done so much already, uh, in your career what is really inspiring you right now in your career in neuroscience or anything really that, you know, you're kind of moving through in your career? What's really lighting you up right now? To be perfectly honest, it hasn't really changed. And in a a couple of decades, I have, I just really love learning new stuff, probably a bit like what you said, curiosity, but I have always since I kind of first met and fell in love with neuroscience, I have always been utterly captivated and interested by just the, just the physiology. It really has got me up out of bed every morning for the last, gosh, 27 years probably now that I've been in the space, whether I've been a student or whatever of it. Yeah. Um, and it, it, there's so much to learn and explore, and I am just totally um driven by learning <laughs> learning new things so totally yeah. nerd I I just thoroughly enjoy that almost more than anything um and really the work that I I do now because you know I've, I've I've got this philosophy you know all these purpose kind of philosophies you can have it's pretty simple Venn diagram is it awesome and does it help and, and there's so many things that are awesome about neuroscience that I love and are fascinating. And I love to just go down the rabbit hole of that and read papers and think about how that fits in with other ideas. But I guess the beauty and the joy of what I've been able to do is take that that career of mine that I've been in since I left school, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and now other people are starting to become as interested as I always have been. Um, and, and that's fun as well, I suppose. Um, overdoing being in, in the world of neuroscience for so many years I can connect the dots between lots of different ideas now yeah. um, and that's really I can feel that in myself mm-hmm. and and being able to share that with other people is kind of a bit of an icing on the cake but honestly to be perfectly honest selfishly the cake is just really it's really the science 
the physiology, the biology. I just think it's really interesting. Yeah. And um, and I was doing it before anyone else cared to listen to what I had to say. And it was still just as good then. I love that. I know. It's it's like a hot topic right now, right? I feel like hmm. neuroscience, right? It's, it really yeah. it really is yeah. neurobiology. Yeah. And it's really been in the last... So I left academia and and doing and working within the neuroscience research lab about my oldest son is turning 13 um, next Tuesday. It's Tuesday yeah. here in, in one week. Um, and I was just pregnant with him and I left academia and the research lab. That was kind of a coincidence that I was pregnant with him. Well, no, I mean, maybe it wasn't really. Um, <laughs> probably part of the journey, right? Mm-hmm. Um and then, no, then there wasn't really an interest. So we're talking like 2008, 2007, 8 then. People, it was really just a niche thing. It's really been, I suppose, in the last five years that I've seen this growing thirst outside of academia and the science and the research world. Yeah. And um, that's been really cool to, yeah. to be part of that and to kind of be, be sitting in that space and to feel that I can... Um, contribute to that in a really um thoughtful and wise and smart way because there's a lot of people trying to do it uh, yeah <laughs> who don't have the good strong foundation yeah um and, and I'm 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 just love being able to be part of that um, yeah you're an OG <laughs> you're an OG you're an originator that's what you know yeah <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, there's some some OGs that go back a whole lot longer than me. But I suppose within that public communication, science communication, um, social media, right? Um, it's, um, it's 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 it's. I suppose I've got quite high standards about. You know, I was I was trained as an academic. I have to have really high sort of mm-hmm. critical thinking skills and standards, and I'm very very passionate about making sure that that carries through mm-hmm. to what, what I'm just doing, but what I'm teaching other people to go off and share as well. Yeah, I know. I love that. I mean, you know, it, you, it's you, you are bridging the gap. And I think that that's from the lab to real life in mm-hmm. one of the things I love about having my podcast. Um, I, like I said, I'm a curious woman. Um, you know, I, I'm an empowerment coach I've, I am a very introspective, I came out of the womb. I don't know if it's like a special edge that I have, but self-awareness is very potent. And I've, I've fortified it throughout my life, through my writing, through uh, meditation, things of that nature. But I'm just really interested in, in living from my fullest potential. And I've built my entire brand and this podcast around that, right? So it's like, when you think about living from your fullest potential, optimal performance, self-mastery, you can't ignore neurobiology. You just can't. Like you need to. And for me, you know, you say, when you talk about you get up and you're so excited. I wake up typically between depends on when I go to bed and I sleep early between four and five thirty. And I get up and the first thing that I do after drinking my little herb drink is I I get out my Kindle and I start reading. And the joy that I get in, for example, reading your book and highlighting and making flashcards so I can geek out on them later and just keep. It's like, I love my mornings, you know, and all of that's to say, to go back to the bridging the gap, what's so special about having this podcast, aside from, you know, spending time with incredible humans like you is being able to, and you're so good at this, taking a complex subject like neuroscience and distilling it down into a language that is easy for 
most individuals to absorb and then retain. And I think that it's so important. You know, one of the things I've heard you say that I love so much is like, you look at life through the lens of neuroscience. I'd love for you to explain what that means. And then how that really connects with what I was just saying is there's obviously so much, you know, and we're going to tap into this, but there's so much value in understanding certain aspects, at least of what goes down in our system Mm -hmm. of systems from that perspective that can help an individual to really thrive in life. So you're so good at, uh, at, you know, bridging the gap. And if you want to expand on, on what that actually means, you know, looking at life from the lens of neuroscience, I think that would be amazing to listen to. Yeah, I guess um, I've perhaps had to do that more and more um, in the last, you know, five or so years since other people have become more interested before that. Really, I was just interested in the neuroscience and there wasn't necessarily the the kind of the everydayness about it, the that that lens to be able to put on that. But I have realized over time it is a it is one of many. There are many different lenses we can look at the world. Um, and this is just the one I use. I'm not saying it's the only one or the most useful one, but it's certainly the one I enjoy I enjoy using. Um, and I suppose over over time I've had to I have started thinking more that way simply because people have asked me more questions. And, and I have learned teaching, um, and I, I run professional development courses for adults because I'm very passionate about adult adults, humans, grown-up people learning <laughs> about science. There's, yeah. there's, you know, the young the young folks, they're, they're still in school and college and they've got a lot of learning opportunities these days. A little bit tougher right now with the pandemic but yeah there's so many great people out there in the world doing some really really important and useful work particularly within the helping professions who I'm most interested in and in working with so the sort of the therapists and the psychologists and the teachers the people who are out there kind of at the front line of humanity helping other people live better and healthier mm-hmm. um and the questions that they have asked me of neuroscience may not have always necessarily been the questions that I've taken into the field in the first place, but I've realised now science is starting to catch up a little bit with some of these questions. There's still some pretty big gaps. Um, A lot of questions people ask of neuroscience, we simply can't offer the solution yet. It's either really, really super reductionist and therefore becomes kind of meaningless, or we could have answered it with behaviour science or psychology. So that could be a bit of a criticism. But for me, it's been, you know, people ask me some some really, over the years have asked me some amazing questions and I've sort of developed, I suppose, a framework for answering them. And I talk about this in my book and all my courses and I, it's it's a bit kind of clunky, but I can come up with a more sophisticated name. I call it bottom-up, outside and top-down brain. Put the brain in the middle. And almost it just provides people with a simplified framework for thinking about the neuroscience of so bottom up is sort of you, is your bottom up biology. So your, you know, your, your your physical biology itself, your genes, your hormones, your uh, the food that you put inside your body, how you move your body around the world, anything biological um, is in constant communication and providing a constant data stream into your brain, and your brain essentially evolved to move move your body around and to kind of regulate everything that your body does. So you've got your bottom up biological aspects of neuroscience and we've got what I call outside in so as I said our brains evolved to move our our bodies 
through the world. That was the kind of the, the, the first reason brains evolved. Mm-hmm. And so we've got this world outside us, which also gets in under our skin and into our synapses and into our bones. A lot of that data comes in through our nervous system, through our eyes and our ears and what we feel and touch. And so we have the influence of the outside world on our brain, not just um, nature itself. And I can hear the birds chirping in the trees out there, but the light-dark cycle, you know, the, the planet spins on its axis as it goes around the sun and we all evolved on this planet that has a light-dark cycle. That's a huge influence um, on, on our nervous system. But there's other people out there in the world. Yeah. Uh, we're incredibly social tribal beings and so there's the other people that we interact and communicate with. And all of the other sort of life experiences, everything else that is out there, mm-hmm. kind of the outside in, there's a constant data stream coming into our brain. Mm-hmm. And finally, the last sort of sort of input or data stream is top down. And that's a whole lot harder to conceptualise and even for neuroscientists to think about. Um, and top down are things like thoughts and emotions and expectations, belief. These are product of the brain but they also provide input to the brain so if you pop the brain in the middle of that Mm -hmm. almost any um question that we could ask of neuroscience we can go let's let's kind of framework that out bottom up outside and top down you will put insomnia in the middle we could put depression in the middle Mm -hmm. we could put well-being in the middle we could put you know how do um how does coffee i'm just drinking a cup of coffee you know Tell me about coffee in the brain. We can consider all of these from the bottom up, outside and in top down. That's kind of a framework I've developed to think about, to teach about and to talk about that is, the work through the I, lens of neuroscience. It's literally one of the, I feel like in learning about that, and I'm so happy that you just explained it because I definitely plan to ask you about it. That is like, I don't even know I get emotional because it's so powerful to actually attain that information. And it's, it's so applicable. So example, like in my coaching, you know, empowerment coach. So it's a lot of like mindset, but I'm also an athlete and I'm also a geek when it comes to nutrition, um, Mm -hmm. all of it. Right. So if a, if a client of mine is having some kind of issue, maybe is feeling, you know, lower energy, not very robust. Yeah. All that. I'm not just going to stay up here with them. I'm asking them all of these questions. How's your sleep? What's going on in your relationships? All that. But given that framework, so it's kind of like I'm touching on that, but not, yeah. 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 And all of these these outside and bottom up, top down factors are all, you know, interacting with each other. And I do think that the top down is, is the hardest to address. Mm -hmm. It's hard to change your mind using your mind. I'm I'm hopeless at that. Oh my <laughs> Using gosh. Mind to manage your mind is one of the hardest ways to do that. Um, so I just kind of you know draw back a bit, look at this you know framework. If I you perhaps someone is feeling a bit kind of depressed, you know, mm-hmm. a bit low, a bit blue, you go, mm-hmm. well, what's what's a, a pretty easy bottom up way to change how you may be feeling or change your mindset is you know get up and move your body into a different context. So you've got. You know, you're moving your bottom-up body, but you're moving yourself into a completely different environment, which is changing immediately then two of the sort of the the, the, the streams of input that are coming in. Um, yeah. Your body's moving. You're in a completely different environment. The mm-hmm. other day, I was just like kind of caught myself up in all of these thinky things. <laughs> yeah. um, 
I grew up in New Zealand. My husband's family's in Ireland. I was sitting on the beach watching one of my boys surf and just gotten this whole thinky thing about, oh, when will I, when will the world ever come back and we can see our families again? Yeah. And I really got, I, I, I spiraled myself down pretty quick as we yep. can all do these days. Mm-hmm. I was like, I've got to, I've got to get myself out of this and I'm just trying to think my way out of it. And I'm like, come on, <laughs> you, you know better than this. Mm. Ripped off my hat and my sunglasses, you know, jumped in the ocean it's something as simple as and I'm not saying that we should all jump in the ocean to cure everything although salt water, <laughs> although, salt water sweat tears in the sea um <laughs> pretty medicinal I jumped in the sea under a wave and I completely changed so much of that data feed coming in mm-hmm. um Switch the minds. It switched that that that. I, suddenly, that thought wasn't even in my head anymore. In fact, the, the thought was there, but it wasn't consuming me with a lot of negative emotions because my body was busy dealing with this nice cold water. And yeah, so just little things like that. I I use all of the time to kind of pull myself up, pull myself back. Right. Um, I, I try not to use thoughts too much to change anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do. I do find that as a, it's a tough way in. Mm-hmm. I'd much rather use bottom up or an outside in technique. No, I and love that. Love them, you know. I feel like it's it's effective. I I uh, created a. Sometimes I'll do solo episodes, so solo episodes, and then I had an episode where I was talking about when you feel kind of doubt or things of that nature, which I'm confident, but that of course I'm not immune to those feelings. Um, I'll go do something physical that yeah. demonstrates my strength to me. And that, that stimulus, it gives, it changes me. It doesn't maybe make an issue go away or whatever, but it it gives you a new stimulus. Right. And that's exactly what you're just saying when you're, why, do you know why that is? No, but please tell me (laughs) a little bit about the neuroscience behind that. So the kind of next step beyond thinking about, you know, this bottom up outside in is that our brains aren't just this passive receiver of all of this data. Um, Essentially, the brain is what we call, and there's this term going around in neuroscience circles at the moment, the brain is a prediction machine. And what Mm. does that mean? It means that the brain is constantly making a best next guess about what's going to happen next to kind of prepare your body within the context that you're in to think or feel or behave in a certain way. Mm. It's a little bit like if you're riding a bike along a busy street, um, you're always kind of looking 10, 20, 50 metres ahead mm-hmm. to make adjustments to how fast you're going, what you're going to do with the brakes. Is that pedestrian going to jump out? Am I going to have to, you know, am I about to go up a hill or over a bump? So you're kind of a few steps ahead of where you are on the road at that time. Sure. And your brain sort of doing that all, all of the time anyway, making a, a best, you know, kind of a next guess about mm-hmm. what, what's coming up. And we really like certainty. Certainty feeds into that. The brain likes to know that the data coming in is reliable and it knows what's coming next. As soon as data or inf- information becomes a little uncertain mm-hmm. or unreliable and pass your mind back to yeah. mid-April 2020. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we just don't know what was going to happen. We didn't think that by April 2021, we still wouldn't know. <laughs> Some things have got more certain, other things have got a whole lot less certain. Mm. Um, and, and once there's that kind of the gap in information, we just start to feel worried and anxious because it's not a really comfortable place to be not knowing. Right. Before 2020, the example I would have given would be perhaps you've gone and had some kind of, you know, you've got a lump in your breast, you've gone to have a scan mm-hmm. and you're waiting for the results and you do not know what the result is going to be. You're waiting for the doctor's appointment. 
and there's a massive gap in that information there. So you just, you're going to worry, you fill it up with whatever information you can find, whether you're scrolling through the internet or you're just like talking to other people, you just worry, worry, worry. Anytime we don't know what's happening next, we tip, that's not comfortable. We don't like that. Our brain doesn't like that. Right. So if you do what you did, you go and do something that reminds your brain, hey, actually, I do kind of know what's happening next in this particular moment in time. I'm going to go and lift some weights. I kind of know what I'm doing. I've got my reps all all worked out. I've got like a little exercise plan. Mm. That immediately provides certainty, something predictable coming in, and it it automatic kind of arms you. Wow. Because you go, actually, I have agency. I'm still doing stuff. And even something as simple as going for a walk along a familiar kind of path around Mm. your town or where you, you know, the beach or bush or wherever you live, is reminding your brain, hey, I actually kind of know what's coming next. And that can be incredibly soothing in the face of great uncertainty and unreliability. Oh, um, that's so great. Like, I know what's coming and it's and it's gonna and even for a moment you can kind of calm everything down. Yeah. You know what's coming next. Right. And so why when we should in times of great stress or uncertainty or anxiousness, if we just go and do something like what you said, mm-hmm. some kind of predictable routine. Yep. Um, it just you, you're kind of falling back on all of those systems and processes you don't it's need so to, yeah do, do something that you know you can do well it makes me think of the classic quote from the navy seals which is control the controllables um, which is so interesting because it sure. actually it, it's, it's a great quote right yeah. and, and, the, and the military the military has been training soldiers and one sort of guys or another for hundreds of years all around the world lots of countries have always had military soldiers army for thousands of years maybe mm. they kind of understand a little bit about human behavior mm-hmm. under great stress yeah um and they've got a lot of really good systems and techniques um that we can that we can draw on it may not always seem obvious but those little kind of um phrases and and you know they, they always sound like cheesy memes are, are really <laughs> on often hundreds of years of dealing with people in high stress situations right right I think it was G- do you remember G.I. Joe knowing's half the battle oh, yeah. <laughs> it's still like a classic one like knowing's half the battle self-awareness right yeah, for, sure. for sure it's so good but it actually makes me want to ask you a question though that's a little it, it kind of opposes that so I'm someone who um I always say like train the mind and this get comfortable in discomfort right yeah. so it's like training yourself so I'm a martial artist I train Brazilian jiu-jitsu this is one of the greatest methodologies for me to get really comfortable in discomfort because when you have some heavy man and a gi on top of you and you gotta stay calm because if you don't wait fight or flight yeah. and the whole yeah it's interesting what would you say about that then because uh, you know obviously there's a place to control control the controllables to calm yourself. Yeah, I'm yeah. just curious to what you would say about training yeah. yourself. Yeah, please go. Martial arts are interesting because they are providing a really well-established framework mm-hmm. for dealing with sort of unknowns or stresses or, or those types of situations. It's not, you're not um, suddenly wrestling with someone in, you know, a car park on your way home. From right. The, right. Right. You're not, in, a, in an environment where that was unexpected. Although, so if you were trained in martial arts, you might perhaps 
have a better response in that sort of situation because you've been in some form of that situation before and you have training and you have right. experience. So I think what martial arts do is they step you through. You know, you're not kind of in this black belt situation. I don't know anything about martial yeah, yeah. arts. <laughs> black belt situation as if I know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> when you are a girl going in for the very first, her very first lesson, you are, you know, you're walked through a pretty cool program mm. Yeah, um, of training that has been really well established and 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 worked out over years, and the mindset training. You're not, you know, you you you're stepped through that. So it's like any kind of education or learning or training program. You know, you you're stepped into these sort of situations, and you're taught um, right. how to manage your body, how to manage your mind and your body together. Yeah. Um, so I think you can learn to manage your mind and you should learn to sit with discomfort. Mm. Um, but just saying that to someone doesn't mean that they are going to be able to do it. Right. Right. You kind of, you, you probably need to step your way through to get to that point. Right. Um, and the mind management is harder. <laughs> um, it's not <laughs> impossible, but it's hard. It's, it's a whole lot harder than the other systems that we have at our disposal and in, in like the moment. Yeah, no, that that's a you're you're right. I mean, essentially, I'm safe to be in this to test my discomfort levels, right? In, in my environment, person is in a is in a is is not coming in. You know, they're in it. They they know what they're doing too. Right, so there's, right. There's still trust there. Yeah, no, that's huge. Both. Yeah, that's a great. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, I want to talk to you a little bit um, about your book, if you don't mind going there. Because, I mean, wow. You know, today I posted on my stories. I was on my walk, and I was like, I will never look at a dandelion the same. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I just... Can I ask you, um, I want to tear into some some parts of it, but what, what really inspired you to go there, to write a book on huh. women's brain, hormones, health, happiness? Yeah. Good, good question. And there is a story behind that that I have told a few times, so apologies if anyone's heard it before. But it's just a true story. I, I was not had no plans to write a book. I was sitting in my office one day. I don't know what I was doing. and I and I don't really feel I'm a natural you may say it's a talent I do not feel I'm a natural writer and anyone who has has written anything knows it's a struggle it's you know bloodletting process (laughs) Um, it's not easy it's tortured Stephen I was actually I have a quote from Stephen King on my my wall Um, (laughs) so it's tough yeah Um, don't you know you look at the finished product and think wow no one knows what kind of all the backing that goes into writing a book unless you've written a book but so essentially I didn't want to write a book because I'd written a PhD thesis and had done a lot of writing I knew it was really hard it was not on my agenda and then I was called up out of the blue by a very charismatic lady called Jeanne Rickmans who said hey I'm a publisher do you have you ever thought about writing a book and I was like oh gosh no I don't really have any ideas and she said, oh, that's not the, that's not a problem. Come on, I've read some of your stuff. I think that we should meet and have coffee. And she is very charismatic and persuasive. So I went, yeah, I'll go and have a chat. She sounds kind of interesting. And she's a very interesting woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sat down over coffee and she said, so, and I said, look, I, I, I think if I'm going to write a book, you've got to have an idea, like the idea. It has to be, you have to be able to, and she said, absolutely. And I said, well, I haven't got one. She said, tell me what you've written before that has really resonated with an audience. And that was easy because I had been writing for the ABC here in Australia, which is kind of our national broadcaster. Um, 
they had a brain kind of blog for a while. And I'd written an article on menopause and brain fog, um, kind of looking at that, but also saying, hey, the, ex- the, the, the kind of the foggy forgetfulness and inability to necessarily be able to pay attention during menopause is not the first signs of Alzheimer's disease. So let's not panic about that. There are some other causes. And it was a pretty short little article, but we had an enormous response to that with so many women going, thank you. Thank goodness, because I was really worried that I was getting dementia and I was too scared to do anything about it. So I told Jan this story and she said, well, there's your book idea. And I was like, menopause? Because I was now 46, I was about 42 there. And I was like, I'm not writing a book about menopause. That's something old ladies do. I'm 46 now. I'm 42. I'll be 43 next month. You can't slow the biological clock. Right, right. And now I'm like, yeah. I think I'm perimenopause or something. But I'm like, oh, that sounds a bit like old lady sort of. And then she made some kind of throwaway comment about brain fog and baby brain. Mm. And I went, oh, that's interesting because baby brain isn't really a thing where I'm from because I grew up in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. We've had a prime minister that's had a baby while she's been in office. You know, we it was not a thing that was part of any conversation I had ever had women had babies, we did stuff, we didn't like wallow around with our foggy brains when we were pregnant. Yeah. Uh, And it was only after I'd actually had both of my boys um, and I switched careers when I was pregnant with my first son um, and it was great. Mm. Um, It was only later on I heard people talking about this thing called baby brain and I was like, what a load of rubbish. Anyway, it turns out it's a reasonably well-researched area. And so then I, but, but as we were sort of having this, me and Jean were having this conversation I'm having with you now, I went, oh, but there are so many aspects of women's uh, biology that I've never thought about through the lens of neuroscience, which sounds a bit duh, but <laughs> neuroscience is a really big subject. Yeah. But somehow I had got to 42, having worked in neuroscience my entire career, been a you know female body and brain since I was born. Mm-hmm. And had never before thought, what's the neuroscience of puberty? What's the neuroscience of the menstrual cycle? What's the neuroscience wow. of pregnancy, of menopause? Mm-hmm. And I knew there were a lot of questions in there around sex and gender. Mm-hmm. Girls and women are, are diagnosed with anxiety and depression than men. I'm like, is that because women go to the GP more and ask for help? Or is there some biological reason for that? Women are more likely to be diagnosed with Alzheimer's than men. What is the reason for that? Is that a real fact? And I just was like, oh, my God, actually, here's a book idea. I could look at the female lifespan through this lens of neuroscience. Yeah. Which I, when I and, and then Joey, that's a great idea. She said, go home and write down like kind of a chapter outline. And I realized, and then I was just like, oh, my goodness, there are so <laughs> many questions in here I do not know the answer to. And I was suddenly I was like, this is, and I, this is, I was, I was thrilled so by the prospect of, finding out stuff I didn't know. So I was in no way any expert on neuroendocrinology or or women's health or pregnancy or any aspect of that. But I did know a lot of people who were. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was sort of how the book book really came about. And the chapter outline, if you get a chance to look through that, you'll see a lot of it as questions, which were essentially... I I love that questions and I went I've got to start and I call it womb to tomb and utero you know childhood and I just stepped through every point in the lifespan and actually it was quite funny because I've written teenage brain and I was like where am I going to put 
I really wanted to do anxiety and depression as a standalone chapter. Mm-hmm. I did not want to have mental health as part of, um, you know, puberty and the teenage brain and, 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 and pregnancy and motherhood. I didn't want to have it at every point in the lifespan as if it was inevitable. So I pulled it out. Yeah. And then I was like, well, what point in the life am I going to put that? Yeah. Um, and then I started writing pregnancy. And then I remember going to Jean and we'd already had the book. At that point, the publishers had accepted it. The contracts were done. I was writing it. And it was a couple of months in. And then we just start the chapter on pregnancy. I said, I forgot about the part about getting pregnant. <laughs> and love. And I was like, oh, my God. I've got to have a new child. And I haven't even thought about it yet. But you're going to get pregnant. <laughs> and so, it's like, oh, out. And so there's a chapter in there now called, I think, Sex, Love and Neurobiology or something, which was the last minute edition. Oh my goodness. That was another duh moment. <laughs> well, there's so much in there. I mean, let me point out a couple of things that I love, like learning about the placenta um, when a woman's pregnant with a female and that, that the placenta of a female will naturally have more protection against stressors. That's so yeah. interesting. I Yeah. So yeah. And people don't realize, so your placenta, a baby's placenta is either XX or XY. And and I'm very aware and and the world started becoming more aware, just, just kind of like the disclaimer. Mm-hmm. I wrote this book in 2017 um, and conversations around sex and gender and all of those issues were only really just sort of starting to come into sort of the world was slightly waking up, becoming yeah. a little bit more. Like, and it was really hard in so many um, parts of the book to find really good neuroscience research on basic aspects of women's health some areas are really well studied other areas less so so to then kind of take it to the next level to sort of start teasing out sex from gender and different types of experiences of that mm-hmm. through the lens of neuroscience is nearby impossible because I really was very careful to stick to the neuroscience research so when sure. I'm saying girl male female um, I'm really, do, again, through the lens of neuroscience and what research that we do have and not to be dismissive of anyone else's experience. That's my yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, it's a really hot um, button topic right now. Sure. Um, but the vast majority of, 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 of humans and, and all mammals, in fact, um, a, a male fetus has a male placenta because essentially the placenta develops from the, 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 the egg and the sperm and the gamete and, you know, it kind of embeds in the wall and half of it becomes a fetus and half of it becomes a placenta. So you have a female placenta, we have a male placenta, mm-hmm. which most, I didn't even really, I kind of think I knew it, but I never really thought about it in that respect. And we do know that, that um, in utero, males are slightly more susceptible to develop disorders at that point in the lifespan versus females and one of the reasons we think is that the female placenta is slightly more protective against the stressors the the sort of stressful events that the mother may experience now whether they be psychological stresses external stresses or perhaps some kind of you know environmental or chemical um, event um, as well so that's really interesting and that may account in some ways for um, some of these developmental neurological developmental disorders that boys are, are slightly more likely to be born with yeah to those types of, of disorders that we see it just you know it's interesting I have this conversation with some of my friends who also love to geek out in, in, in these areas but like the human body 
period is just so gnarly. Like it's just so vast. And there's, we are a system of systems. Now take the female body and it's like, okay, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> hold up. And it's so interesting because I mean, look, I, I sh- full transparency. Um, again, I'm in my forties high school. I didn't go to college. I was like the entrepreneur straight out of, and really surfing uh, straight out of high school, but I had that entrepreneur mindset. Right. So I was like, no, I'm going to hustle, make money do that. You know, but I'm saying this because I don't remember a lot from school, you know, high school, but um, so maybe there were things that, you know, were touched on in this area in science and biology, but I was ditching and surfing. Um, so now that I said that though, you know, I think it's so interesting how we are so complex and we don't really come with a user manual. Like your toaster does. <laughs> we don't. And like, I'm just thinking that, you know, to understand, like one of the greatest things for me about learning about the brain, learning about hormones, learning about methods of food, you know, how um, nutrigenomics, how all of this stuff is affecting us. That's empowering information because if I, if I'm here to express myself and my fullest potential, well, then I better know what's going on so that I have a better, you know, I have a better chance. I have tools to adjust what mm-hmm. I want and need to perform at more optimal levels. Mm-hmm. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, learning about going back to your book, um, you know, to learn about a woman, her brain, the hormones, and like another point I'll just bring up that I love so much was um, the stereotype of the teenage, teenage brain. I'm saying that mm-hmm. that was in, that is so useful. I you, I'm like, Parents need to read that, if even that one chapter, because it's fascinating, like what's actually happening in the brain of an adolescent. Ladies, I am so excited to let you know that Queendom, Black Belt Beauty's exclusive membership community for women only, has officially opened her doors and is welcoming new members. Queendom is an exclusive community of high-minded, empowering, supportive, badass women who are all on a mission to live from their fullest potential in life. This empowered space is monitored by me personally to ensure that it is non-toxic, non-competing, and an inspiring, energetic environment. What this membership includes is one monthly live Zoom call with me where I take you on a deep dive and a specific focus for the month. So think topics like self-love, self-confidence, and vitality. These topics are vital to living from your fullest potential in life. So these talks are going to support you to get more clarity on them and help you to develop and strengthen your relationship with them in your life. You get one monthly challenge that is specific to the focus for the month for stronger development and progress in that area. You get a monthly workbook with a summary of that topic and journal prompts around the subject. You get a variety of intentional meditations that I create to help you get rooted in specific areas of yourself and your life. You get exclusive Black Boat Beauty Radio podcast guest content for Queendom members only. And ladies... I love to have fun, so you can expect to have a lot of it in Queendom. There will be several pop-up virtual events, including more live coaching sessions with me, beauty sessions, training sessions, cooking hangs, master classes and Q&As, all with high-level guest experts. 
You also get my VIP high performance vault. So think my top tools that I rely on to feel my best, to look my best and to perform my best in life. Above all, you get community and accountability support from the incredible members of Queendom who are on aligned missions to live from their fullest potential in life. You know, one of my favorite quotes that sums up my aim with Queendom is this one by Reid Hoffman. No matter how brilliant your mind or strategy, if you're playing a solo game, you will always lose out to a team. You guys, I want you all to be winning in your life from within and out. And I'm a firm believer that teamwork truly does make the dream work. So I've designed Queendom to be exactly that, a team of women who are supporting the best in each other to actualize their dreams into life. So the cost for all of this is just $40 a month. And that price is exclusive to this period of enrollment only. For those who purchase a full year of membership upfront, you get one month of membership for free. Investing in this membership is investing in yourself. So if you're ready to join Queendom, go to blackbeltbeauty.com to sign up or click the link in the show notes. Ladies, let's seek the fight together in 2021 as a badass team of empowered queens. Membership has its privileges. I can't wait to see you and support you in the Queendom. By the way, I love that there was this part where it was like, we don't really know where adolescence ends. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fascinating because I yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe when I was 30. I, I mean, know. it's part of a cultural, a social cultural kind of the teen, teenage years are. I mean, you go back a few hundred years and you didn't have a teenagehood. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you kind of went from childhood and women got married off and men went out to work. And um, I was thinking of Bridgerton at the moment. Um <laughs> So, yeah, it, it, we don't really kind of know when it, it's pretty clear when it begins because puberty is a, is a pretty clear demarcation and different kind of young people go go through that at different times. But kind of when it ends, um, you know, it, it's it's different. And that kind of even like your early 20s is kind of a developmental point in time when you are really pretty much an independent adult, but you're still kind of trying to find your way in the world. I'm, I'm so glad that I am older than that now through this pandemic and my boys are younger. So yeah, you know, that that kind of finding yourself like kind of your late teens, early twenties is a pretty important developmental point of time. Mm-hmm. And your brain is still kind of going through that last sort of refinement into, into adulthood. Yeah. Um, around then. It's a pretty important time. And, and one thing I will say about the teenage brain is people tend to, and people I suppose now are a bit more familiar with some of the neuroscience behind that and that there are enormous changes that go on, <clears throat> enormous developmental changes in teenagers' brains, and there's a lot of refinement of various connections, um, and there's a bit of a developmental mismatch early on in terms of some parts of the brain which are involved in um, kind of emotions and feelings and reward and expectation versus those higher-order judgments, abilities to think and make the right decisions, etc. But what people don't realise is that that development of the structure of the brain is experience dependent. So it is driven by the experiences young people are having. Mm. So they are kind of primed to kind of go out and experience as much about the world as they can to refine that brain in much the same way that a, a, a little person's brain during infancy is 
going through this incredibly critical period of language development and children as they are learning, going through this rapid period of language acquisition, that is driven by the neurobiology of their brain. The, the connections in the language parts of the brain are being refined and they literally need to hear and be spoken to to learn language in much the same way that teenagers need social interactions to learn to wire up the social parts of their brain. Uh, it's a quite a good coincidence in, in life, as I say in the book, that they're actually at, at high school because they're kind of at their, almost their cognitive peak of learning right when they're kind of learning calculus and history. And so they're learning a lot of information, but a lot of that social change that's right. going on through the years is also driven by um, and is driving the, the, the refinement of the brain at, at that point in time. So I suppose as a, I've, I've got a... As I said, my son's turning 13 next week. So I'm very um, intimately involved with teenage brains at the moment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's about us providing the right types of experiences. He needs, I call it the freedom in a framework, he needs to go out and he's a real thrill seeker, which is slightly nerve-wracking as his mother, incredibly <laughs> nerve-wracking his mother. He is an adventure thrill seeker. Oh. Um, but it's giving him the opportunity to have those experiences that he needs with him killing himself in the process and well, I, still, I say to him my my burn for him at the moment is darling you're so developmentally normal ah! and, then, and then I get back you're so developmentally normal <laughs> <laughs> he hates it when That's I say so, it well, honestly no but I remember and learning about the brain well I'm, I'm, I'm a neuroscientist why would he want to know anything about the teenage brain because that's mum's stuff fair enough I'm not going to I just say, you sure. <laughs> wow, God, I'm sure he'll appreciate it later in life. I mean, that, uh, I mean, yeah, there, I don't want to give all the book away. I want everybody to go read the book. I've already mm-hmm. done a swipe up today and it will happen again because it's so good. And, um, you know, just, but the risk taking piece that you put in there and you talk about, you know, male and female yeah. and risk taking. So I was just thinking about that, like with your son and being an adventurist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also think, you know, we, the risk, the risk taking thing. We tend to think that young guys. <laughs> this is, you know, the, my heart of my my mother's heart beats inside <laughs> me too. Um, we we tend to think that they're just going off and doing stupid stuff, but they can actually make pretty smart decisions when they aren't influenced by, you know, social acceptance and so much. But it's such a big part of teenage life is is around, you know, what are what are the others thinking about me. Um, and, and being accepted, kids can make really smart, careful, wise decisions when when, when the others around them don't don't um, influence that. Influence them, yeah. We give some great lofty minds. Um, just the the information feed coming in has got stronger feeds coming in from the outside and social world than almost yeah. anything. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, social connection was, you know, that's, I, I think, in all of my research with you, I mean, that's a huge piece that you talk about, mm-hmm. the influence, the impact. And essentially, I mean, that's the outside in. We can say that that's outside in, right, in your yeah. framework. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when we think about, um, you know, I have like a, a, a coaching community, a membership. Do I do private coaching? Sure, yes, of course. And there's so much value to that. But the value of bringing like-minded women together in a space yeah. and have them interact and that it's so powerful. You want to talk yeah. about social connection um, a bit because I, you know I feel like that was a huge through line to yeah yeah. And that's interesting because it wasn't an intentional through line, but 
when I got to the end and I looked back, I realized at almost every point in the lifespan, at every point in the lifespan, without a doubt, that that, that was almost um, the, the, the loudest voice in the crowd, so to speak, because I'd written a book and I thought I was going in and it was going to be a book about hormones and bottom-up biology and how hormones shape and sculpt so many aspects of women's lives. But it didn't matter whether it was puberty and, and let's like take a look at the, the biggest kind of reproductive shift when hormones almost kind of come to the fore. Puberty, phases of the menstrual cycle, pregnancy, menopause, um, the big shifts in hormones that take place at those points in the lifespan sort of open a real window of opportunity or vulnerability. Mm. Um, but often what what kind of was the was the the loudest voice in the crowd was the social context in which these changes took place. So I'll I'll kind of just choose a couple of studies from yeah. that. So puberty was interesting because again, I said I'm quite intimately involved with pubertal brains and people yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Um, and I and you know so often people go, oh it's the hormones, it's the hormones that are making this that way. Kind of is. But there was a really interesting Australian longitudinal study that I talk about in the book looking at different ages in which children enter puberty. And it looked at girls who enter puberty early but normal, so they start to develop breasts and maybe get their period at, say, 9, 10, which is early, but it's still in the normal developmental spectrum. We're not talking about 6, we're talking about 9, so early but normal. Mm -hmm. um, and those girls are far more vulnerable to develop anxiety and depression than girls that get their period, say, at around 12 all girls who get the period say at around 15. But mm -hmm. boys that are a bit different because boys who develop early, go through puberty earlier than their friends, well, what happens to them? They get tall, hairy, their voice drops, and they rise in social stature in their friendship group because they kind of become the man first. Yeah. And they're protected against a lot of that sort of emotional turmoil of puberty versus and we all know the little guy who was at high school with us who didn't have puberty he was about 16. Yeah. He's far more vulnerable than his friendship group who developed normally. So what you've got here is boys and girls who are entering puberty and they're all experiencing the surge of hormones, you know, and it's having the same effect on their bodies and brains, but the greater influence over their emotional experience was the social context in which that happened, the other people around them and how they perceived themselves and themselves changing in the context of their friendship group. That was far more influential. Wow. That's really, that was really um, powerful to me. And makes so much sense yeah. when you think about it. It's not developing breasts and getting your period. It's do I fit in with everyone else? How normal? Yeah. You know, how am I the same as everyone else, particularly at that point in time? And that's really all that matters. And there was another study which still blows my mind whenever I think about it because I thought I'll go in and I'll just have a look at a really common way in which hormones influence our emotional state. Mm -hmm. And I'll look at this phenomenon of PMS or premenstrual syndrome tension mm -hmm. in call it where you live, um, where you get a bit cranky and emotional in the, in the few days leading up to your period. And I thought, oh, well, that'll be really easy to find data on. It was really hard to find good data on how many women experience this. Um, and I thought it would be reasonably universal, although I personally had never experienced that. And I don't know whether that was growing up in New Zealand where we didn't have baby brain either. Very pragmatic, down to earth, just kind of get on with it kind of right. upbringing that I had and sort of society that I grew up in. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of felt, certainly there was a great deal of gender equality and there certainly is in New Zealand today. You can look at the parliament, for example. Mm -hmm. um, 
when I went to look at the stats globally of how many women experience PMS, it, I found a meta-analysis that compared rates around the world and it differed enormously across countries. So France and Switzerland were about 10%. Spain was about 40 to 50%. Some places in Asia were around 50 Iran in the Middle East was around 90%. So you've got 10% to 90% depending on which country in the world you live. It's amazing. And I was like, what is that so about? Fast. Yeah. And then it followed up with some other studies looking at women who were, who were told we're doing a study looking at your mood changing in daily life. Mm-hmm. We're not told it was about PMS. Mm-hmm. And so they were given an app and, you know, you recorded your, your mood, whether it was positive or negative, and you were given lots of positive and lots of negative and lots of neutral emotions to choose from. Um, a lot of studies like that give women yeah. like seven negative and one positive emotion, which immediately skews the choices you feel you have of what you're inputting and how you feel. Um, and it also looked at social support, physical health, day of menstrual cycle, um, and how stressed people were. But it didn't say it was on PMS. And in those studies, we put women were blinded, mm-hmm. blinded, so to speak, as to what the study was about. It was around... They were more like Swiss women, more around sort of 10% of women showed clear variation of mood that tracked to menstrual cycle. Now, when you unblind the woman and say we're doing a study looking at PMS, it was very different. So again, we are almost influencing which sort of data feed, what you know, women sure. pay attention to in a way. That's not to say PMS does not exist because it yeah. clearly does with some women. But what was a stronger indication of emotions was stress, for sure, ill health, for sure. But most significantly and strikingly in the study was it was how socially supported women felt. So the loudest voice in the crowd when it came to determining mood in daily life was the other people around you, not necessarily what day of the cycle you were on. And that was really striking to me, but in a way not surprising when I reflected on all of the different points in the lifespan, whether it be, you know, postpartum mental health, mm. um, sure, you've, you're withdrawing from all of those good hormones of pregnancy, but if you've got the right social supports around you, you're going to be so far, you know, you're going to do way better yeah. than the woman who is perhaps a single mum dealing with a new baby for the first time alone who's struggling. Yeah, uh, it's not the hormones there; it's the social support networks, and we see that at every point in the lifespan. That 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 social outside and feed um, is the is the kind of the the, the the that sort of support structure, that architecture around a brain. And the worst, I mean, the worst thing for a, a human brain can sometimes be another person if it's not the right type of sure as another person as well. Um, and that was the thread that ended up running through the book. But that was not intentional. That was almost kind of looking back and I was like, wow. And so I went and I asked every every researcher I spoke to, I'd always kind of say to them, so you deal with infant health or you deal with people in aged care or you work in women's health specifically with women going through menopause. And I would say, what do you think is the most important thing that can support a person at this point in the lifespan? And they would always come back. It didn't matter what point in the lifespan and say other people. <laughs> it's other people that are the most important thing. Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, I mean, when I read, I mean, just the book in general, but when I read that study too, about the women in Iran, that's actually my, 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 I mean, I'm American, but my, my parents are from Iran. I was blown away and it made so much sense to me. And it made me actually think, so before my period, I, what I noticed about myself is I just, I'm very resilient, very strong, very capable from mind to my body. 
couple days before I, I just, I feel like it doesn't mean that anything is different. It's just my, I feel less resilient, but what makes me, I wondered when I was reading that, I'm like, is it that you kind of cave in a little bit? Like, let's just say, maybe I don't feel as much social connect. Maybe I need more hugs in that, you know, just Mm -hmm. in general, but maybe in that period, I become Mm -hmm. more susceptible to the lack of the hugs. I don't know. This is just where my brain went. Um, Yeah. yeah. yeah, It's so interesting. There are clearly women who are more vulnerable or perceptive Mm-hmm. to the influences of hormones on their emotional state. But a large part of the woman's experiences of that pre-menstrual period syndrome may be the stories that we've been brought up with. And when you were talking a little bit before about what you taught at school, mm-hmm. women are taught an awful lot through this kind of sheer collective wisdom that's come from our mothers and our aunts and our sisters and our grandmothers and the, the differences in PMS experiences globally pretty much strongly indicate that there's a strong cultural narrative around your experience at that particular point in time. Whether at that point in time you are, um, you know, freed up to be cranky because you've almost kind of got a, someone said biologically you're allowed to be right now. Yeah. Kind of Whereas the rest of the month you've got to kind of be a good good woman and, you know, yeah. be nice and pretty and well-behaved. And there does appear some of the kind of analysis that's been discussed in the feminist literature um, following on a lot of this work is that in in parts of the world where there's less gender equality, there appears to be higher rates of PMS reported. This is not always the case, but there's a a tendency towards that whereby it may be that that's the point in time women are allowed to be cranky and angry and the rest of the month they have to (laughs) have permission. So they go all out. <laughs> yeah, and, and I kind of grew up in this part of the world where, um, you know, compared to other parts of the world, there was, there was a great deal of gender equality. And certainly I was never taught about baby brain and I was never really taught about PMS. It was not part of any cultural yeah. conversation in my immediate family. And I went to a girls' Catholic high school and it wasn't even part of the conversation there. We just kind of were very much, and, and I'm Gen X as well, like you, yeah. um, I know conversations change and we see differences in what people discuss and perceive and, and think and feel through the generations. And yeah. we sort of, interestingly, we're seeing this in terms of conversations around menopause now. So say my mum's generation, there wasn't much of a discussion around menopause. My generation is a bit more open to talk about it, but still some of our wins in the workplace are pretty hard won. So we're not going to talk about menopause in the workplace because we're still, right. so to get to where we are, we're not going to like have any conversation around that. Um, whereas I, I kind of sometimes think the generation that's going to come in below me, everything's out there. They're talking about yeah. it. We could probably be really happy to talk about that. So we've got the, gen, you know, we've got the cultural conversations, we've got the generational conversations in there as well. And they are as influential over anyone's personal experience of their health and well-being as anything. We sure. can't deny that. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's perhaps may, may be a good thing, but it may also almost have a, you know, a, a nocebo, the opposite of a placebo effect in <laughs> some cases. People are kind of like looking for for know an experience sure <laughs> I, I I don't know 
I haven't got very clear thoughts about that. No, I love it though. I just love that it raises so much question and it's just, it's a, it's a rich subject. I mean, when we were, I have three brothers and they all trail right behind me. And then I have an older sister as well. And I was thinking about this when I was reading your book too, in my upbringing and my brothers are athletes, um, you know, for the, for probably until 12, when I turned 12, I was kicking their ass and pull-ups, like running, racing. And in my family, there wasn't this difference. Like it wasn't like, okay, Roxy is going to go do this many, you know, miles and the boys are going to do this. And my brothers didn't treat me different and I didn't treat them. And I really have thought about this. In fact, I credit, um, not to dismiss my sister, but just my brothers, I credit a lot of the woman that I am, it really, it's so woven into my brand. There's this harmonization of masculine, feminine energy. And that's just been a through line in my life. And I feel that yeah. a lot of that comes down to my upbringing and, and that there wasn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was more equal in that, yeah, yeah. you know, my yeah, home so environment. Many of, so many of the stories we tell ourselves do come from childhood. Yeah. Um, and, and that, that it's not, just people, you know, people end up in therapy to deal with a lot of this, but it can influence us in some really positive ways as well. Yeah. Um, how we are brought up, these these stories that we tell and these expectations of an experience that we're going to have. Um, and people are really, I guess, quite accepting and, and of that when it comes to, um, you know, like shifts in mindset that may help you deal with with anxiety perhaps or, or, or feelings, negative emotions like that. But but perhaps not so um, when it comes to issues around female health, which they think are totally driven by hormones. Yeah. And I guess I say hormones are just one voice in the crowd. And if we go back to the bottom up, outside and top down, there may be different kind of inputs of data at different points in time in which you're kind of more likely to pay attention to or tune into or you're brought up to listen to. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's a bit so of good. there's a bit of that in there as well. So we have age. I suppose what it comes down to is we do have agency over a lot of a lot more of this than what we may think. We're not victims of our hormonal state, women. We certainly are not by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, um, there's a lot we can do. Yeah, um, some of that may be a bit of a mindset shift as well. No, it's you're. I I fully agree, and I think that's actually a beautiful segue. Um, into when you're talking about mindset, I have to touch on some high performance kind of elements when it comes to, to neuroscience, neurobiology. And I, and I really want to, as we start to wrap out our episode, I have to make sure that we talk about um, your boot camp and your courses, which, you know, I told you that, you know, cause I almost, I wanted to do March so bad, but there's just, my capacity was, yeah. with, but July I'm in and I'm so excited about it. So, be, but before we touch on that, um, when I wake up in the morning, my, my breakfast is dopamine. <laughs> just, so it's like, get outside, get some full spectrum light. Um, yeah. Literally breakfast is, you know, grass fed bison and some nuts. And then there's movement. So um, <laughs> grass fed bison for breakfast. Oh, it's so savory breakfast. People, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like a savory breakfast, but right? yeah. It's so, I've been bison before. <laughs> Oh, really? It's so good. Yeah. I get mine delivered from a great brand and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's so good. And it, you know, it gets me fired up. Um, I feel fueled. And so I would just love for you to touch on, you know, some of the kind of lifestyle yeah. approaches. Yeah. That one can take that really supports brain health. And that really, when we think about like what I was just sharing 
dopamine, the value of that? Like, yeah, why yeah, is yeah. that even important? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, d- well, dopamine is one of many, many, many brain molecules. Um, and we, we hear about the, the, there's the famous ones, dopamine, serotonin, noradrenaline, acetyl, well, people haven't really heard about acetylcholine. And, and they, you know, there's like a few, you know, maybe 100,000 neurons in the brain that actually make them, whereas we've got 86 billion neurons in the brain. The vast majority of the processing is done by the neurotransmitter glutamate and another one called GABA, but no one's ever heard of them. I always feel a bit sorry for them. They're kind of like, they do all the hard work, but the, the, the small part <laughs> players get all of the glory. But dopamine and serotonin and the other ones that we've heard of, um, I, I like to think of them as, like if you kind of imagine an orchestra, so glutamate and, and GABA have done all of the hard work of playing, you know, composing the piece, you know, putting together the orchestra, playing this enormous, wonderful piece of classical music, and then it gets, you know, put out on a classic FM on the radio station. And dopamine and serotonin and some of the more famous neurotransmitters are almost like the volume or the treble or the bass or the balance that kind of dial up and dial down that sound. So the, 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 the piece that you're listening to is, is, is virtually unchanged, but you're kind of adjusting the sort of the levels yeah. of what you're kind of tuning in or out of. That's kind of what dopamine and serotonin do. And dopamine very much is about... Um, wanting what you haven't got, what's not near you right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about kind of desire and wanting, not necessarily liking. Serotonin is more about liking what you have. Dopamine is yeah. about moving towards something that you don't yet have and so you desire. And the interesting thing about dopamine, way back at the beginning of this, I said our brains evolved to move our bodies through the world, to move us from point A to point B, probably where there was food or maybe warmth or shelter. Um, what initiates the movement the physical movement kind of get up and move somewhere else's dopamine so it's a big part of movement you know like literally motivating your body to move its muscles to get you up out of a chair so that's why people with parkinson's disease we see the generation of dopamine neurons they have movement disorders and they have trouble initiating a movement sure and so part of that over time the brain evolved then to not just physically give you a puff of dopamine to kind of get you moving there, but to that desire, that kind of emotional feeling of wanting to get somewhere. So that's kind of what it's about. It's yeah. it's about wanting something that you liked once, not necessarily liking it in the moment that you have it. Um, Motivation. So I suppose, you know, you kind of got to get up in the morning, so you, want, you, know, you need a little bit of neural friction to get you kind of yeah. going in the morning. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll talk about my daily routine which makes me sound like one of those kind of influences that they write about in newspapers (laughs) but I do have over time sort of developed a bit of a my daily routine I suppose based on what works for me and what I also believe that that sort of the science shows Mm -hmm. so I'm very fortunate to um, have an east-facing bedroom window and so me and my husband don't and, and we're kind of high elevated and so no one can sort of see into our house. So we sleep with our curtains open. Um, and where we live, the latitude we live in the summer, winter, it really only varies by about an hour, an hour and a half. When the sun comes up in the morning, whether it be five, somewhere between 5.30 and 7, depending on the time of the day, we just wake up naturally with the sun. So I'm getting 
light in my eyes very early and I live in a part of the world where it's pretty easy to get out and about mm-hmm. um, so that light dark cycle that getting the sunlight in and having kind of panoramic vision early in the day yeah is incredibly important to sort of get you up and going and to kind of set that 24-hour rhythm for the rest of the day so that's a big part of my morning routine I don't typically eat before lunchtime mm-hmm. not that I'm into intermittent fasting but for me that's kind of what works best yeah. for my, my my kind of my my cognitive focus and also as I'm getting older kind of keeping <laughs> body weight yeah. <laughs> um, no but I drink coffee I'll have a couple of cups of coffee black coffee when I wake up yeah I don't have bison <laughs> I get up. It takes me a while. It's yeah, it's not it's immediate. And then depending on whether it's a school day or not, or what's happening with my boys, you know, I just sort of get them off to school and sorted. I try and set aside my morning up until you know before I eat is my best thinking time. And so I really I either schedule nothing for that part of the day or a couple of days a week when people need to call me from the US because of time zones or whatever. Right. But I, I have two or three days a week when my morning is when I do all of my deep thinking, distraction-free thinking time. Um, and then I'll eat whatever I eat at lunch and sometimes get like salad with fish or something. Yeah. Um, I am a very devoted afternoon napper <laughs> only because over the years I always struggled when I got around to 2.30 in the afternoon with feeling like I wanted to fall asleep. Regardless yeah. of what I've eaten, Regardless of how I'd slept the night before, and I and I can easily smash out ten hours solid sleep a night. Um, and even if I've had that mid afternoon, sometimes I'll just get sleepy. And I used to struggle through that. I remember sitting in university lectures and a dinner <laughs> two hours trying to stay awake. Now I'll just go out and have a twenty three minute nap in the afternoon. And by twenty three minutes, I set my alarm on my phone for twenty three minutes because it'll take me a couple of minutes to fall asleep. I just get that little bit of short sleep in. Don't fall into deep sleep. Wake myself up. It clears all of the adenosine receptors in the brain, which when you get more adenosine building up in the brain, you get an increase in sleep drive. Um, And that's when I, you know, that's my kind of day reset. Not every day, but if I need it, I will indulge in that. And I work for myself at home so I can. (laughs) If I was a school teacher, perhaps, or a surgeon or an airline pilot, it may not work, but that's what works for me. Um, and then if I'm going to exercise, sometimes I'll exercise in the morning I'll, or I'll go for an ocean swim or I'll go to the gym and lift some weights or I'll do a pump class. or I'll. But I try and walk the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to always do this in the morning. But lately I have found, and I don't know whether this is ageing, that mm. <laughs> I'm better off using that morning time to think rather than move and I move later in the day because later in the day the kids are in and out we've got school sport stuff going on yeah. and the day and it becomes a bit more of a muddly part of the day mm-hmm. and so that's when I'll try and fit in like say an hour walk with my dog yeah um, through the bush at the beach or whatever so I always used to exercise in the morning but now I exercise in the afternoon and evening just because it fits better yeah and frees up that morning time for thinking yeah. and then We'll eat whatever we eat for dinner. Um, <laughs> and I'm not really strict. I eat pretty low carb, but every now and then, you know, like last night, we actually flew in a plane yesterday, if you can believe. Oh, really? And 
Oh, I had a meat pie at the airport. That's a Kiwi <laughs> thing to eat a pie, a meat pie. Um, so I'm not super strict either. I'll give myself a bit of a break. Um, but but typically I eat, eat low-carb Mediterranean-style dinner. Yeah. Um, so I'm not, like, super strict, and I'm pretty relaxed around how I do that. Sometimes I'll eat toast for breakfast, but very rarely. Yeah. But if I do, I'm not, like, freaking out either. Right. Um, you've got to have a bit of pleasure and, you know. Well, and also you breakfast on Easter Sunday. I mean, well, I mean, chocolate, cacao <laughs> is actually, you know, like that doesn't mean the next day I'll just go back to how I normally eat. Well, so, okay. A couple of things I have to say in the back. First of all, I'm so glad that you, you walked us through that because I'm sure so many people, myself included, it's like when you know all that you know. Yeah, I, should, I, I go to bed really early as well. Like, oh. I'm in bed by nine typically and I read and then I'm, I can easily, I'm all, almost all, my husband, <laughs> just like, what, what the time for me um <laughs> we've been together 20 years so you know he's had plenty of, of me um <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm like i'm in bed early because i'm rising with the sun i'm i'm anyway. in bed between eight and nine <laughs> yeah but i wake up so early and it's part of yeah. my joy in life you know so yeah. and i don't yeah I don't like here's the thing I wake up and I'm not tired I wake up and I'm ready and that's the right yeah the problem is now my boys are going to bed after me Mm, right right that's 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 interesting but that's right because my husband's still up and he can manage them I'm like I did my time yeah your time is dad's time that's so good well yeah I was saying though I think it's so great that you just walked us through that because I know a lot of people myself included it's like when you know that you know about the brain and you know neurobiology like how do you function in your everyday life so there's so much value in just sharing your process and one thing that I can also say about your process that I find a lot of value in and I talk about this a lot um coaching community just in general is you know, it's the macro, right? It's not, first of all, we don't want to be rigid. We don't want our systems controlling us. No way. That's, that's, there's no autonomy in that, you know? So yes, I have a ritual in the morning, the reading, the meditation, but if for some reason, one day I need to switch things up or feel like I want, I want to get outside and move instead of being in my journal. I'm not hooked to the system. And if I don't do the system, then I'm, so I love that you say, you know, you might have toast and it's not the end of the world. Who cares? Because yeah. in overall, what you're doing, the the steadiness is, you know, there's yeah. just a lot of harmony that is yeah. optimizing yeah. your system as yeah. a whole. So these moments yeah. don't, you know, I think that's yeah. huge because I mean, I'm sure that you've come across it as well, but there's a lot of people who get so rigid and stuck on, am I doing the right thing? And it's like so counterproductive. Yeah. You're yeah, like, yeah. You're not supposed to be stressed about, about and, things. Yeah, and that just makes you stressed. And right. Just, you have to have some flexibility in there. And I think I'm really kind of pro, and, and I am prioritizing sleep. Like I talked about my morning waking up, I talked about going to bed early, I talked about that. And, and I prioritize like that, that is the number one for me. Yeah. Um, and everything else follows quite easily from there. If that's disrupted, <laughs> Um, and my husband always laughs at me because he wakes in the middle of most nights and, and reads and I'm just like lying there. <laughs> just out. I have like, I go, you know, he, he always jokes like I go to bed at 11 o'clock and I'm having a late night and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> just like 
<laughs> there's no flexibility there. But um, I, I, if I prioritise that, everything else falls into place. And I am incredibly fortunate where I live in the world that, you know, we're, we're pretty much, we've got no COVID in the community. We yeah. can we can hang out in pubs and restaurants and kids can go to school and we can flew in a plane. Yeah. We have to laugh. But um, I'm so fortunate where I live and I know not everyone is as lucky as they as, as I am um, right now. But I've, I've kind of tried to create a, a business and life that enables me to kind of live that way. Yeah. Um, and again, not everyone's able to do that. And I'm pretty aware of my, you know, my great fortune in life that, that, that I've been able to do that. Yeah. Um, That's amazing. And it's, yeah. I mean, and I just will point out, you know, it, it, you're also, it is special to, to create that life. I mean, I live that in my own, in my own life, you know, I will say though, you are such a contributor. So, you know, you're living this life that you've designed for yourself that allows you to, you know, be fulfilled, to be able to do the things that you, that really light you up, you know? Um, and at the same time, it's, you are, you're such a contributor. You are making a massive difference uh, in the lives of anybody who, you know, is learning from you, connected to you. So I don't know. I think that's something interesting. It's something that I like to highlight because um, I, I value it deeply. So, um, okay. I have to be mindful of your time. I could talk to you for forever. Um, before we move into, I have a, a question that I love to ask all of my guests. And, um, and then I have a few rapid fire words that you could be rapid in your response or not. Um, but before I even touch that, let's just really quick, if you don't mind, and I'm going to be sharing this as we get closer, but you, your courses, the boot camp, please, because I think that this is so valuable and I'm really excited, you know, for July to come and me to get in that boot camp. Well, I teach online um, professional development courses in neuroscience for people in, as I say, the helping professions. Um, so coaches, therapists, psychologists, teachers, people, um, social work, people in special needs education come in. So then the, there's the main neuroscience course and there's three sort of ways that you can do that. And then there's also a women's brain health and neurobiology course. Um, but the, the main neuroscience course you can do either as a 12-week um, program online um, or you can do the sort of the super intense high-speed boot camp version, so the identical curriculum but taught over two weeks. So with the 12-week version, we do one or two lessons a week and we start off looking at the basics of brain biology and physiology, um, step up to looking at things like cognition and emotion and motivation um, more kind of coachy kind of ideas around goal setting, um, behavior change. And then we take a look at the basics of brain health, sleep, nutrition, um, social connection, um, all of those in, in the, the kind of the last lesson. So there's 17 lessons which covers from sort of basic neurobiology through to brain health. So as I said, the 12-week version, we do one or two lessons per week. It's all pre-recorded online video training, and then there's live Zoom Q&A at the end of every week. With the intensive bootcamp version for people who perhaps don't feel that they can do 12 weeks, mm -hmm. even though it's kind of two or three hours a week, the bootcamp version delivers the, the identical curriculum but daily. So it's much more intense, but it's kind of 
good in a way because people go, I've got two weeks to do this. Right. They set aside two or three hours a day and they, they smash out those lessons. We have a, a live daily Q&A. So it's quite intensive, but it's really fun as well. Um, so there's a couple of ways there to do that neuroscience course or you can just buy the online curriculum and do a self-study version. Mm. The 12-week course in the boot camp give people a certificate professional de- of de- continuing professional development certificate. Say if you're with the International Coach Federation, you can go and gain your 27 hours or whatever it is of um, professional development training. And I update them, you know, pretty regularly. The sleep um, lesson, for example, needs a major update because that was done about a year and a half ago. So I'm mm. continuing that. And people come in and then it's like a cult. So when you come in and you do one <laughs> of the courses, you're automatically enrolled into each of the next cohorts. And some people, there's this guy called Amrish who was in, in India and he first signed up um, in 2015. And he's still, every now and then, he'll come into a Zoom, you know, oh. all of the years later and his little daughter's in there and she's been growing up over the years and, um, so some people have been around. That's so really, cool. Really well, I think that's a testament to you. I mean, I, again, like I, I, I first discovered you, I started getting dialed into your work. I was like, she's brilliant. She's amazing. And then I, okay, I, I you know, I want to do this boot camp. And then I was like, okay, July, okay, set the time up. And then it was let's podcast. And again, I'm so grateful for this time with you. Um, and then in all of my research and taking deeper dives into your work, I'm like, God, I just love learning from her. So I think yeah. that that's a big testament to, you know, him, you know, being here this long. And I, I'm, you know, I feel like I'll be an alumni. <laughs> well, well, I suppose, you know, my aim is really, um, the woman's brain health one kind of steps through the lifespan. It's very, very kind of partly related to the chapters of the book in a way. And it's very conversational based and it's large. I think I've had about, 150 women go through and two blokes and those they were therapists and they were very very they're real gentlemen who were very you know gracious and sort of sat in the background and listened they were amazing um to have involved in a largely kind of female circle type um yeah um, course but but what I'm really passionate about and interested in is not just talking at people and saying this is the, how the brain sleeps and this is how what happens when you eat good food or food that you perhaps shouldn't and what happens to your brain it's giving people the tools to be able to go away and be apply some critical thinking to the neuroscience that they see or hear or read give them the 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 tools and the skills to be able to go away and sort of do some research almost on their own um, and be able to figure out what they can and what they can't take from 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 the neuroscience because a lot of the time there's still a real gap in between what we understand and what we can apply and what we can use. Um, and I get people to sort of to, to sort of sit back and think, right, if I'm a coach and I'm interested in using neuroscience, what does even using neuroscience mean? Am I going to be talking about the brain to someone else? Do I know enough to be able to talk to them? Can I talk to my client about the brain? Or am I using some tools from neuroscience to teach in a way that will be more user-friendly for them? Or am I perhaps using a bit of knowledge about neuroscience to support some work I already do? Mm. So also it's about being very thoughtful about when we say using neuroscience or we've learned about neuroscience, we use it in our work. What what does that even mean? Because I think we can sometimes our um, enthusiasm for the topic can 
exceed our kind of skill set and ability and knowledge. So I also try and get people to be thoughtful about what they're doing with this knowledge that they now have. I've loved that so much. One thing that bores me is lazy thinking and blanket statements. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't. Yeah. I'm I'm yeah, we deal with and there's a lot of them around the brain. <laughs> the reptilian brain being the one that I like to oh. um, and I'm even kind of got a few issues with fight or flight, to be honest. Really? We kind of with, yeah, we deal with that. And the, I, I I think the this is a bit of an aside, the fight flight gives the impression that the only time your sympathetic nervous system is activated is in response to a life-threatening event yeah. and sigil effect from being chased by a hippo or a baby-toothed <laughs> tiger when... I mean, we can, you can get excited about you're going to go on a podcast and have a really cool chat to someone right. and the sympathetic nervous system will be activated because of the excitement or the thrill or the challenge or the opportunity um, and we'll get a physiological response. It's got nothing to do with thinking that you're about to die. Um, right. And fight, flight has almost become synonymous with sympathetic activation, which then gives the impression to someone when their heart rate rises that they are oh, in trouble. about to eat, get eaten. Yeah. And and I and again, I think that that's teaching people the wrong message about what's happening in our body. Yeah. Um, we're giving people a broad enough language and a broad enough um, kind of understanding of what's going on so that our perception of what's happening has become narrowed by the choice of language. Yeah. Anyway, we talk about that kind of thing in the course too. So good. Using and choosing the appropriate metaphors and stories about the brain to talk to a particular person in a way that will make it meaningful for them. So all of that's kind of wrapped up in the, 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 the course too. So wonderful. Thank you for sharing mm. that. That was so fun and I can't wait. And obviously everything will be in the show notes for people to sign up. And as we get you know closer, when I'm starting to enter the boot camp, you will be blasted all over my IG stories. So um, thank you for sharing that. Before I, I wrap us out, is we talked about so much and I'm so appreciative. Is there anything that you would like to live in this amazing conversation, something that maybe you wish people would ask you more about or just something in general, like a takeaway that you want to leave and no pressure, no worries, if not, because we did talk about a lot. Um, oh, look, I think perhaps the two... Um, most important um, things that we can do to take care of our brain is one, sleep, and two, socialise. That's really kind of, it sleep's the kind of the, the biological foundation, the bottom-up biological foundation of health, and um, then that enables us to be able to connect with other people in ways that our brains need, no matter what point in the lifespan we are. And if you know, those are the those are the two that I think we should prioritize above. If we have to have a list of priorities, they should be the two that are at the top. That's huge. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, so if you had a magic wand and you can give the masses one positive habit that would have a large ripple effect in their life, what would it be and why? Go to bed when it gets dark. <laughs> Simple. <laughs> get up. I agree. <laughs> okay wonderful and so now we're going to move into rapid fire uh words again whatever comes top of mind top of heart if you want to repeat if you want to share your answer rapidly great if you want to elaborate one word answers. no you could elaborate yeah oh, okay yeah I really wanted so i'll try and do one word okay <laughs> okay first word is love 
Oh, I just think family. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Fear. Pandemic. (laughs) Curiosity. Oh, neuroscience. (laughs) That was almost a giveaway. Passion. Neuroscience. Mm. <laughs> that works. Um, challenge. Challenge. I'm trying. There's not one word I can think of. I'm. I'm like. The word I, I came with was integral. I, I guess I was meaning like a challenge is like such a, an important part of um, passion and curiosity. I think. I love that. I agree. Yeah. Like a challenge. Love it. Uh, courage. Courage. Bravery. I think I think courage is about feeling fear and knowing that that's okay and trying to act anyway. Yeah, I love it. Two more. Uh, resilience. Oh, resilience. <laughs> <laughs> Other people, you know, instead of what's happening to me, what can I do about it? What's happening to us? How can we cope? Other people with a framework for that. Beautiful. Final word is excellence. Excellence. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm always trying to get there, but (laughs) no one ever thinks that they've got there. A bit of a driver as well. Something to strive for. Yeah, I love that. That's so good. It's so good. You are incredible. Thank you with all of my heart. Again, this has been so much. I mean, I could keep talking. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's got to get on with her day. So thank you. Thank you for everything that you are doing, that you're sharing and how you're contributing to the world. And again, I'm just very grateful to be connected and excited to be continuously learning more from you. So thank you. And if you could leave our listeners, um, everything will be in the show notes, but best places to stay connected and, and work with you. Yeah, for sure. You can find links out to my social media and my courses through my main website, which is drsarahmackay.com. So Mackay, spelled M-C-K-A-Y, um, which will be in your show notes. So if you go there, it's kind of the portal to, to everything. Okay, beautiful. Thank you so much, Sarah. I hope you have a beautiful, beautiful day and I will be connecting with you soon again. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love chatting. Thank you. Talk to you soon. (laughs) Bye. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode, you guys. If you loved it, please share it on your social. Throw it up on your Instagram stories and tag me. I'm at Black Belt Beauty. I am also at Roxy Look, R-O-X-Y-L-O-O-K. I love connecting with you guys. This is a conversation that I want to just continue growing with you guys. So if you feel inspired to hit me up, do so in that space. I always enjoy hearing from you. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so by rating it and reviewing it via iTunes. It's such supportive help, you guys. It really helps the visibility of this podcast. So I appreciate and thank you in advance for doing that. And last but not least, if you are interested in starting your own podcast, or perhaps you already have one and you need help with, you know, editing your audio and the production of it, I cannot recommend my producers enough. 
Resonate recordings, you guys, they are the bomb. I rely on them. They are an absolute supportive tool to me and my podcast. So check them out and let them know that Black Belt Beauty sent you. And on that note, you guys, I'm signing off with all my love and always looking forward to catching you on the next.